opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Marty Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional and the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, Protecting Yourself with a Personal Privacy Audit, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California Legislature. She served as a privacy expert for numerous court cases nationwide and at a White House press conference featured on C-SPAN. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about data privacy, and I think I told you that I read this very interesting article in California Lawyer Magazine, and the author was Dave Watts. So let me tell you a little bit about Dave Watts. Dave is president and CIO of NetFusion, and he has and he and his team design, implement, and manage stable and secure IT networks for professional services firms and small to medium-sized businesses throughout California. He is recognized by the Los Angeles Business Journal as the finalist for CIO of the Year for four consecutive years in a row. Dave uses a proprietary approach to network architecture, which is designed to bolster an organization's productivity and network accessibility. Meanwhile, he tries to increase data privacy and security while doing that. So we're going to find out more about that. You can find out more about him at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy and also at his website at netfusion, that's N-E-T-F-U-S-I-O-N dot com. So thank you so much for joining us, Dave. We really appreciate this. <coughs> thank you, Mari. It's my, um, um, very fun to be here. Tell me, first of all, how did you get to be such a techie and know so much about this stuff? <laughs> well, um, I used to work for a very large uh, top 100, uh, top Fortune 100 um, insurance and financial services company and um, worked with them on the networking side. And then I left there in 1995 to start my own business, uh, recognizing that I wanted to bring the good things you get from a large business, such as standardization, uh, everything's process-driven, uh, major security focus on security architecture, and bring those to smaller firms without bringing any of the negatives you sometimes uh, associate with larger firms, such as bureaucracy, et cetera. Right, right. And smaller firms really need this kind of help because th- they often can't afford inside uh, 
you know, see um, IT people to really help them. They have to hire outside people, so that helps a lot. Now, you, I was talking about how you were on an expert panel with the California Lawyer Magazine on data privacy. So, why don't you help my audience understand what you mean by data privacy? Okay, so uh, data privacy is—it's also called information privacy. Um, it's uh, pretty simple. It's the you know the aspect of. IT, which is information technology, and um, and how we determine what data in a computer or network system can be shared with third third parties. Um, so you want to uh, manage how your data is shared with authorized third parties, and you also, of course, want to prevent unauthorized parties from accessing private information. And I would imagine you want to protect from the you know the insider threat as well. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. That's that's a great point, and it's an often overlooked one. Yes, because yes. uh, the third parties can also be someone from the inside releasing information in a way it shouldn't be released. Right, and it might be someone who's authorized who turns rogue. Right. Correct. <laughs> if they get a bad review or something like that. <clears throat> so let's talk about what type of businesses should be concerned. Now we have a lot of, uh, you know, we have uh, Aliso Viejo that's nearby and Newport Beach. They're like sometimes mini Silicon Valleys. So you've got uh, a lot of startups. You've got a lot of small businesses, medium-sized businesses. Um, should they be worried? All businesses <clears throat> should be concerned with data privacy. If you don't adequately protect uh, your client's private information, um, you can incur costs to deal with the breach, including notification costs, uh, potential legal liability. But the biggest cost for your business is really the loss of your reputation as an organization that it's safe to conduct business with. So for, for all those reasons, all businesses should be concerned with data privacy. Yes, even, even mom-and-pop places that, uh, you know, that are on the Internet. And, you know, just one person who, who has a, a you know, company out of their garage, that's, that could be very dangerous as well, right? No, no one is too, and I try not to sound dramatic, but no one is immune from the threat, and regardless of your size. And sometimes the smaller you are, the bigger the risk is because you're probably not going to be able to expend the same kind of resources to protect yourself. Yeah. Well, um, many, as we were just saying, that many businesses don't even see themselves as targets. Do you have any kind of statistics on what happens with small businesses and they're being targeted? Sure. Uh, two of my favorite statistics on this are one, one from a semantic um, um, sponsor study. And if you're not familiar with semantic, they put out, uh, they are a security company now. Um, and they make anti-malware protection and other protections. Um, they have a study um, that claims that 62% of attacks are against small to medium-sized businesses. Wow. Um, so it's more than half. Um, <laughs> and, um, and there's a Verizon study uh, that uh, demonstrates that a company of fewer than 100 employees is going to be 15 times more likely to be seriously breached than larger companies. So why do you think that is? Is it because they're more vulnerable because they don't have a lot of the protections that the larger companies have? I think that's part of it. I think if I were to uh, list the ones off the top of my head, I would think, one, small and medium-sized businesses are often um, ignorant of the severity of the threats to their business. They just so mm. often just don't know. They're so busy conducting business, and you know, this is not what they do for a living. Um, the second thing is they're often ignorant of the magnitude or the repercussions of a data breach. There are some very, very large repercussions of having a data breach. It's not just an inconvenience. 
Um, and then what you said, uh, which is right on point, they often have fewer resources to spend on adequately protecting their business. Um, and then that can show up in different ways, uh, one of which is perhaps they don't have a dedicated IT security specialist on staff or a chief information officer. Um, you know, sometimes they outsource security to unqualified contractors or technicians. It's just somebody that they know or a friend or perhaps this is the first firm they talk to. Um, and then they have, you know, they're also a big target because, um, you know, the mouse goes where the cheese is. They have data on their clients that cyber criminals want, and automation uh, of cyber criminal attacks uh, makes it really easy to attack small businesses literally by the thousands all day, every day. Right. And when you get all sorts of, uh, you know, debit cards and credit cards and all sorts, I mean, there, there could be a lot of money even from a very small business. Now, let's talk a little bit about breaches because people get a lot of those breach letters, those notices, and so mm-hmm. they start to think, oh, it's no big deal. But if you are a company that has experienced a breach, it is a big deal, isn't it? You want to talk a little bit about that? <laughs> sure. So, um, one, um, uh, first of all, it's a bigger breach in California than it is in some other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, California law requires that you notify all of your customers of all breaches um, or potential breaches of non-public and personal, personally identifiable information. It doesn't take much to meet that requirement, by the way. It could be e- email address, and an email address with a first name. There's all sorts of combinations that make it very easy. It's a very low threshold um, that you um, can exceed pretty quickly. So you have to notify all those people that were potentially breached. Um, so if you have a database stolen or some of the you have evidence of a breach and you think it affected something like a database of information, you have to notify everyone that was in that um, potentially breached, that was in that database, et cetera. Um, it, it, the only, the only uh, saving grace is if you've encrypted it, then you don't have to notify. That's that's right. the part. So that's if it's exposed, point. you know, but, uh, you know, I remember because I helped write that, that legislation and we wanted to put the stick, you know, and the honeypot, you know, that if you don't encrypt, you are going to have to notify, and it's very expensive. But if you do encrypt the data, then you have no duty to disclose that to anybody else. That's, so that, that's that was, correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. Thanks for reminding me of that. That's a safe harbor clause in California law. Yeah. And I, I didn't know that you could, uh, contributed to that. That's great. Yeah, um, yeah it's safe harbor. But it, it, one important point is the data has to be encrypted um, at rest, wherever the data is stored, yes. not just in transit. So it's, you know, there's multiple places data resides. And so that's a really, really good point. Yep. If you, that's a very, probably the least, one of the least expensive ways you can protect your data and protect yourself from this kind of, um, the results or um, having to notify anybody because of a breach. Right. Um, um, other things that, you know, why it's a big deal, I think, is that um, if you have a breach, mm-hmm. it can result in both legal um potential legal and public relations costs for notifications to clients, potential lawsuits, um, and also loss of company productivity if you're unable to function because your data is, your network's down, et cetera. um, But more importantly, I always stress this, it's the loss of your reputation. It takes a long time to build your reputation, and unfortunately, you can lose it pretty quickly. And and you can Um, literally go out of business because the cost um, I know the Poneman Institute, of which I'm, I'm a fellow, and they, they've done research every year since our security breach legislation came, uh, 
came into being. And the cost of just notifying is so overwhelming. And like you said, if you're spending all your time on trying to notify and, um, you know, deal with all of the legal aspects, because now even in California, you have to let the attorney general's office know about it. So, so there's a lot of embarrassment and a lot of potential liability, both from, you know, litigation from the governmental agencies and, and uh, possibly personal if somebody becomes a victim of identity theft. Right. So uh, to your point, so it's not even just money that you can, uh, you have to actually spend a lot of time and effort and labor. Yes. Um, so it's a really good point. Um, one of the things that um, Inc. Magazine came out with a thing recently that said 60% of all small and medium-sized businesses that fail, um, I'm sorry, do fail within six months of a cyber attack. Wow. That's a really, oh. really high statistic. Oh, my goodness. It's just that's outrageous, yeah. So let's talk about who are these cyber criminals? Well, it's, uh, I don't know if you're old enough to know this, but it's no longer Matthew Broderick and War Games sitting yeah. in a little room in his bedroom attacking somebody. It's actually professional criminals. Right. So, I mean, and a lot of them come from other countries. They're not all from other countries, but a lot of them come from other countries. Um, and there's a really low barrier to entry now uh, for these criminals. So, you know, these are criminals who, there are criminals out there that sell. They will infiltrate your computers and networks. Excuse me. And then they um, sell these pre-installed exploits on computers waiting to be used for an attack. <sighs> you can literally purchase a pre-installed exploit for as little as $200. Oh, my goodness. Okay? What does that mean? That means a lot of people can get into the cyber um, criminal activity business. And so these are not people that are... Um, most of these people are like organized crime rings. They've got full dashboards of all their exploits. They have a, you know, that, what that means is they can look at a computer screen and see every computer out there and identify it that they've got an installed exploit on or mm. something that they can potentially use to gather the information that they then want to sell. So it's, it's big business. It's because it has a low, has a high payoff and a low barrier to entry, and makes it big business. And how do you, you know, how do you even get these people? If if you're if someone who's a cyber criminal is sitting at his kitchen table in Russia, or you know Croatia, or or anywhere, right? You know mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia. You know how are we going to get them? How are we going to find them? You know, a lot of times there's Interpol that gets involved, but it's it's not easy to even find these people and and prosecute them, and then meanwhile, you know, all of the money in your bank is gone, or again, your your business is infiltrated. It's just, it's horrible. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I think it's a fantastic question, and uh, I've got some contacts with the FBI and former FBI, et cetera, and they don't have all the answers either, otherwise it no. would be resolved. So I think that for a small medium-sized business, the you probably, I mean, you want to definitely report any cybercrime to the FBI um, or to your local police authorities, but I think that the, the only thing that you can probably take action on is the better defend yourself. Right, right. So, you know, how, how they get in there? I mean, there's various ways that they can get in there, right? Oh, there's a lot of ways. I'll mention a few of them, uh, and some of your listeners probably know about some of these, but... One of the most common ones is called phishing. And yes. I'm, I'm sure most people know, by now know what phishing is, but it's spelled P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G. And that is where someone is sending you something, it's usually in an email, and they are trying to get 
to fool you into clicking on something that you um, to go somewhere on the internet that you would not normally go on your own knowingly. Right. So that could be a fake email from I got one today. For it looked like it's from Amazon telling me that someone's been trying to access my account and I need to click on this thing to go reset up my credentials. Right. Um, it's not real. Right. If you hover over the link or the URL. You can actually see where it's actually going to direct you to, and it's not to Amazon mm. in this particular case. I've seen them from PayPal, and they used to be a little bit more obvious to spot, and now they've gotten very sophisticated, and they have the correct logo on there, and the uh, the way it's worded, the, the English is better than it used to be, etc. So phishing is a really, really common one, and what's scary about phishing is it makes it harder to protect against because the the user is actually clicking on something, and now they're initiating something from the inside of the network saying, hey, I want to go someplace, versus someone just attacking from the outside. Right. So that's actually harder to protect against. And um, so phishing is a, a major way that a cyber criminal, excuse me, cyber criminals infiltrate or attack your business. Um, go ahead. You know, the, the other thing I was going to just mention on, on top of what you were just saying about the, the phishing is that lots of times it'll come from somebody that you know because their uh, computer has been hijacked. Uh, the chair of one of my state bar committees, just let me, whoo, forgot to turn off my cell phone. Yeah. One of my state bar committees, I got an email and I knew that that wasn't something that she would usually send. You know, it said, open this in a hurry, you know, this is, go look at this. And I knew right away because obviously I'm in the business that you're in. And I said, oh my gosh, I, I wrote her and I said, you've been hijacked, you know, you better let everybody know and you better do something about this right away. But, um, yeah, and if I would have clicked on that, obviously I would have been sucked into some, some other URL that, would, again, they would have hijacked my machine, right? Yes, definitely. Yeah. And they could have installed an exploiter machine that you wouldn't have even know. In the old days, malware look, you know, would do something or make your machine slow or this or that. And now it's much more sophisticated. It can install something on your machine that will be then later be sold to someone else to do something with it. Yeah, or hijack my machine like they did hers, and then try and use that for have me ask for you know certain data from somebody. So right. yeah, I mean that that's really horrible. How how about um, well, let's talk about some of the other ways. Well, um, malvertising is one, and that's like um, malware combined with advertising. So sometimes you'll go to a website. It's very common, actually, on Facebook and other sites um, where there will be advertisements on the side. Those bigger companies don't always, they purchase those, or excuse me, those ads are, are sold as packages to be placed on those websites. Right. So Facebook does not go through and look through every ad that's going to be on a Facebook website. Huh. Same thing with, it's not just Facebook, you know, AOL, Yahoo, other sites, etc. And so when those, when you see these advertisements on the internet, you need to be very careful about clicking on them. I always recommend it because if you can click on them and it's a malvertising, it's going to redirect you to some place that you did not intend to go. Right. It could be a site that's fake, that, and these fake sites look legitimate. Yeah. And then they're trying to get you to in, enter information about yourself. Right. Um, like the Amazon example I gave earlier, 
you know, right. trying to get me to put my credentials in, yeah. or it could be where you click on something and it's going to silently and in the background install something on your computer because you initiated something by clicking on something. Well, I don't so, understand something. Well, you know, I sure. usually don't click on those, but sometimes if there's a really neat ad about getting rid of your wrinkles, which is within Facebook, you know, yes. I'll mm-hmm. sometimes click on that and I'm thinking, oh, you just scared the the living daylights out of me, but I mean, it, it doesn't Facebook have any duty to to have put up malware for those ads that go up there? I mean, I would think that if you're on Facebook, you're kind of in a in a in an environment that you feel like that they are a big enough company that they should be having their own malware up there. Maybe that's stupid, I, but I mean, I don't think it's stupid. I think it's <laughs> I think it's great. I think that this is uh, there's it's it's not even just Facebook though. I don't know. By the way, I don't know. I, I agree with you. I don't know that they always are going to be able to do that. Huh. Uh, you think about when you look at an ad on the internet, and you see, especially with ads that rotate in and out. And remember, when you're going to a, a site, um, they're already based on certain information they know about you with cookies on your computer, etc. Right. So these are legitimate advertising companies know something about you. Ever notice that right. you, know, you click once on wrinkle information and now you go to all these other sites <laughs> and suddenly they have things like, you know, look at all this wrinkle information. Right, of course, right. the joke is, how do they know I have wrinkles? But, anyway, <laughs> but, um, but the, so what you're, what they're doing is they're targeting those ads to you. But because they're targeting those ads, you're, it's the sheer volume of the mm. number of ads that have to look, be looked through is very difficult. And it's, and it, what if it's just taking you to another site? So then they would have to really go investigate every site it's taking you to by clicking on that. So it's, it kind of becomes an endless problem. Well, um, but, but sometimes when you go to one of those websites and it says you're now leaving Facebook or you're now leaving, do you want to do that? I don't know if that's on my own computer or where it is, but once in a while it'll say now you're leaving that website. And then when, when I see that, I usually won't go. I agree. I think yeah. that's a good idea. One thing I do is, so let's say I'm on that same website, and like I play tennis, so I see something, that I get constant ads about tennis. So I see something about, hey, there's a sale at so-and-so sporting goods right. um, for tennis gear. What I'll do is, I'll um, let's say the name of it is XYZ Sporting Goods Company. I won't click on it. I'll go open a separate browser myself, right. go directly to the website for XYZ Sporting Goods, and then I'll find the sale or the whatever it was they were advertising. Oh, that's a good idea. Really good. I just want to mention that we're speaking with Dave Watts, if you're just tuning in, and he's President and Chief Information Officer of NetFusion, and he and his design team implement and manage um, a stable and secure IT networks for professional services firms and small to medium-sized businesses throughout California. So we're getting lots of good information on a, on a real techie guy who can help us with this. So... Um, Let's let's talk a little bit about what other kinds of uh, cyber uh, criminals. You know, um, what is the zero day exploit? What is that? So you may read about that sometimes in the, in the news. Uh, yeah. Zero day exploits mm-hmm. are they are new um, threats or new vulnerabilities. Okay, that can be exploited. Um, so it could be a deficiency in. Uh, perhaps a browser piece of browser software, an operating system. It could be something that can be exploited by a cyber criminal, someone who wants to take advantage of it yeah. and use it to install something or do something nefarious on your computer. 
And but the problem is because it's brand new, they call it zero day. No you. one's had a no one's had a chance to create a way to block it. Right. Okay, or to detect it when it's happening. So So McAfee um, and Norton d- didn't even see it yet. <clears throat> correct. Right. They don't know normally when uh, and when something happens on your computer, your antivirus software, like you said, like McAfee or Norton, etc., they um, examine what's happening and they say, yes, this is safe, or no, this is bad. But remember, there's what if, what if they don't know it's good or bad right. because there's nothing to compare it to? So right. that's a zero-day exploit. Yeah. Now, another one that's, that's really scary is, and this is the social engineering, and you know, um, I had Kevin Mitnick, who was the premier social engineer. I had him on my show. He's written The Art of De- um, Intrusion, The Art of Deception. And he's, you know, he was uh, wanted by the FBI for many, many years. And then now he has a security agency. He went from wearing his black hat to a white hat. But he, he never really did it for money. He did it for fun, which was, you know, <laughs> not really that fun. But, um, you know, he... You know, he is the master of social engineering. And, you know, some of these things these social engineers do, I mean, we can get caught so easily, right? Let's talk yep. a little bit about that. So social engineering um, is designed to uh, gather information. It's basically to, to attack employees, okay? So they're instead of going with a purely technical attack, they're going to go with an attack on someone's judgment on whether something is uh, real or not. So it could show up in earlier, like we talked about, in the phishing emails. It gets you to click on things. But more commonly, social engineering, I don't know if you've read recently, I can't remember, um, it was very recent, a study came out by the FBI, or excuse me, a warning from the FBI, warning about the rise of these uh, bookkeeper wire transfer scams. And they were very, Mm -hmm. very common. I had lunch with a banker, uh, president of a bank last week, and he was talking about the same problem. So what they do is they use social engineering to figure out like who the book, bookkeeper is, who the president right. of the company is, et cetera. It could literally be someone phoning in to your receptionist and saying, oh, you know what, I, I need to pay a bill. I, I don't have the uh, invoice with me. Could you direct me? What's the name of the bookkeeper, et cetera? Right. So they can gather information in any number of clever ways. And the same thing for like, oh, I want to do an article on your business. What's the name of the president of your business, et cetera? Right. And then... I get, and they could do that at a different day, obviously. And by the time you gather all this information, you now have enough information to then create a fake email. And they could, like, of this wire scam one, if someone spoofs your email, which means they don't even have to be able to get into your email. They just need to know your email address. Right. They can pretend like it's coming from that email address. It'll often go to a bookkeeper. It'll say, you know what, I'm working on this uh, confidential transaction or merger or whatever, and therefore I don't want you to discuss it with anyone. I need you to wire transfer this amount of money to this party with this bank account, and I need this to be done immediately or by noon or whatever, so there's a sense of urgency attached to it. And you would be shocked at how many people fall for that. Yeah. And as a result, but it sounds real. It's like, you know, it says your boss's name on there. You're afraid not to do it because it's your boss. Right. And they, they know about the so-and-so, you know, merger. Maybe they read about that or something. And so it seems very legitimate. And then people wire this money, and it could be very, very large amounts of money. Yes. You know, hundred, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. And, you know, they, they do this even for with consumers. Like I had a client whose mother um, got a phone call and thought it was her grandson in Mexico and that he needed money. And so she wired $10,000 and it wasn't her grandson. 
you know. But yeah, so it can happen to anybody. It really can. So whenever somebody gives you that kind of, uh, you know, exigent circumstance or something like this is an emergency, I need to have it. You always have to check it out. Always have to check it out, even if you think you're going to get fired. You got you got to do that, or or the I agree. I, you know, or the IRS calls you, and and I've gotten calls even recently, even on the phone. So it's not just um, on your computer, um, it, like you said, if a phone call to somebody in the business. But I mean, I even got a call from from somebody that said that they were the IRS, and I knew that it was crazy. I knew it was crazy. When I got another one from, you know, uh, law enforcement, which I also knew was crazy because I'm a sheriff reserve here. So you have to be very, very careful and never, you know, don't trust. Don't trust anything. Check it Do out. Do not trust. Yeah. In an email. My suggestion to that is, um, yeah, even if, even if you think that you might risk irritating someone, pick up the telephone, call the person that you know that was involved in this and say, hey, I got this email from you. I just wanted to confirm this was correct because, you know, for doing my due diligence, is this what you wanted me to do? And make sure, you know, if it's someone you know, you're going to know their voice, et cetera. Yeah. So, and then check it out before you take action. And also, if, if you get anything from, like, the IRS or some governmental agency, go online and call the number for the that. I <laughs> Funny story, real quickly, I'll tell you, is I, I got a call from the IRS several years ago, and of course I didn't believe it, and I said, I don't believe you. And it was it was somehow my social security number was mixed up with my, my uh, cell phone number by mistake. I put it down. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I didn't believe them. You know, they wanted to know, what's your social security number? <laughs> I wasn't going to give it to them. And then I called up, and I did end up, it was, the, it was true, but I... But I checked it out, and, you know, the IRS agent was very, very nice and laughed and go, I don't blame you for doing that. But we are just about out of time here. We are exactly out of time. Wow. So if you could, Dave, give us your website, and then it's time to go. Okay. Uh, Our website is netfusion.com. That's uh, N-E-T-F as in Frank, U-S as in Sam, I-O-N.com. And perfect. And we will have you back again. Hey, stay in touch and keep up all your great work. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks. I enjoyed it. Okay, bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org. On the net, I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. 